Zipper rolls out to the right, pitches off to Taylor, and Taylor's to the 20. Down to the 15, down to the 10, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Touchdown, Billy Taylor! Touchdown, Billy Taylor! Billy Taylor scored a touchdown from 21 yards out. The crowd goes berserk. It was November 22nd, 1969 that they came to Barry, Michigan, all dressed in maize and blue. The words were said, the prayers were read, and everybody cried. But when they closed the coffin, there was someone else inside. Oh, they came to Barry, Michigan, but Michigan wasn't dead. And when the game was over, it was someone else instead. Eleven Michigan Wolverines put on the gloves of gray, and as the organ played the victors, they laid Woody Hayes away. Under center is Wangler at the 45. He goes back. He's looking for a receiver. He throws downfield to fire. Welcome to the Michigan Man Podcast on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew for Wolverine fans from coast to coast. Go Blue and welcome to this week's Visitor's Edition of the Michigan Man. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Joining us today will be the radio play-by-play voice of Purdue football and basketball, Tim Newton. Before we join Tim, let's get rolling as we always do with my view from Section 17. Here we go with our first true road test of the season against what appears to be a very much improved Boilermaker team. Here are a few things I'll be watching with interest this week. Red zone offense. Coach Mason was asked on BTN this week if he thought our red zone offense would improve. He said, yes, you get what you emphasize and Jim Harbaugh and staff will emphasize production in the red zone. No ifs, and, or buts here. We need to be better. Passing game. Tariq Black is gone for now. He had surgery on Wednesday. There are plenty of targets for Wilton Spate. I want to see if we can attack downfield, and if Wilton continues to struggle with his accuracy. The offensive line. Will we cut down on the mental mistakes? They cost us points last week with really some silly penalties. All correctable. Can we open consistent running lanes? And can we pass protect better? Purdue only has one sack this year and not a lot of hurries. If the Boilers are getting constant pressure on Wilton, that will be a problem. In the running game, is Ty Isaac 100% or close? We won't know until we see him in action on Saturday. Will Chris Evans start to show us signs his game is improving? Also, will Karan Higdon get some more carries this week? I really want to see if Khalid Hill gets more involved now in both the run and the pass game. There is so much we can do with him. He is so unique for a fullback. On defense, can we get pressure, hits, and sacks on David Blau? This kid is very good at evading pressure. How will our corners and secondary hold up? This is the best passing attack that we've seen so far, and they will be tested. The offense likes to throw in the flats and underneath a lot. The linebackers will have to be alert and make a lot of open space tackles. What I don't want to see this Saturday is Quinn Nordine kicking another four or five field goals. I love that we have him, but as Chris Ballas said earlier this week on the show, I'd rather see him kicking five extra points. Since Joe Tiller retired, Purdue football has gone from bad to worse. Fans have been apathetic, and worse yet, the student section has been virtually empty for home games for almost a decade. For at least one day this Saturday, that will change. Rossade Stadium is sold out. It's homecoming on national TV, and the Boilers are red hot 
and number eight Michigan is in the house. Sounds electric to me. Tim Newton has been the radio play-by-play voice of Purdue football for many years. He's seen the good, the bad, and the ugly in over 30 years of calling the action for the Boilermakers. As he told me, new coach Jeff Brom has awakened the fan base. Now it's only three games, but when you've watched bad football for over a decade, almost beating Louisville, then trashing your next two opponents can get you excited. Tim Newton joins me here on The Michigan Man on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network, and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze in Brew. Here with us on our visitor segment this week is the radio play-by-play voice of Purdue football, Tim Newton. How are you this morning, Tim? I'm doing fine and looking forward to a great weekend in West Lafayette. Well, and I think it is going to be a big weekend. I was, I'm was i always reminded when we play Purdue down there, the late great play-by-play voice of Michigan football, Bobby Ufer, used to say, when that Purdue game was coming up, he'd say, and next, we have the Purdue Boilermakers down there in West Lafayette. Home of the upset makers. And through the years, Tim, there have been some great upsets at Ross Aid Stadium, haven't there? It's been a while, but the last time uh, Purdue knocked off a top 10 team was in 2009 when Ohio State came in, which I'm sure doesn't uh, bother Michigan fans at all to hear that. <laughs> um, it, it, I think the nickname over the years has been the Spoiler Makers, mm-hmm. and uh, Purdue has had an, a history of doing that. Hasn't happened for a while, but. I think there's a lot of excitement now under uh, new coach Jeff Brom. Well, before we uh, talk about this week's game, let's talk about Jeff Brom. First year as head man coming from Western Kentucky, and that was a fun offense to watch uh, while he was there for three years. So whatever he is doing, the players really seem to be buying into it, Tim. The, the thing that really stands out to me is, is you hear a lot of coaches come in, and they whether they say it out loud or just insinuate it, it's, it's, well, just wait until I get my guys in here. And we saw earlier this year uh, Urban Meyer take some of his former coaches to task for, for making those comments. And I think that Jeff Brom has been of the opinion that, uh, hey, the, the guys that are here now are the guys that I'm worried about and the guys that I'm concerned with, and I need to make sure that what we're doing fits them instead of trying to pound that square peg into the round hole. So um, he, he has come in, he's changed the culture, he has changed the expectations. He's changed the atmosphere. And uh, so far through three games, he's, for the most part, changed the results, too. So I think people outside the program certainly are paying attention now. But I think most importantly, the guys in the locker room who have not had any success during their time at Purdue understand that his way of doing things and his methods and, and his strategies and everything about what he's doing is working. So let's keep doing it. So uh, he's he's turned everything around. You know, it's 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 like anything else. It's it's not going to be a straight line. Um, we know that there will be some ups and downs as this rebuild continues because Purdue's still not at the talent level, certainly of a Michigan or, or some of the other schools in the Big Ten. But I think it is at a level that it can compete from week in and week out. And as long as this team gives a hundred percent effort, which is one of the oldest cliches in the book, but probably the truest. As long as they maximize what they have every week, I think they've got a chance to be in most football games. In week one, uh, the Boilers played Louisville tough on a neutral field, then took what many consider to be a, a Mac front runner in Ohio to the woodshed. This past Saturday, went to Columbia, dismantled Missouri. I watched that game on Saturday night. And this Purdue team right now, they look confident. 
I thought they were executing and have been at a high level on offense. But the defense, that also impressed me too. This is a much improved team all the way around right now, Tim. It really is, Mike. And I think if you go back to what Jeff had said um, in the offseason, even before we, we took our first snap, uh, he, he said he really liked the defense and particularly really liked the front seven. Um, you've got a lot of experience up there. He's got a very, very talented group of linebackers. He brought one of his uh, graduate transfers with him from Western Kentucky, a guy named T.J. McCollum. But Jawan Bentley, Marcus Bailey probably is the best player on the football team, one of the outside players and only a sophomore. Um, so he felt pretty good. And through the years, the way that they set up when this when this staff was at Western Kentucky, they try to gear the defense to stopping the run, and that's been a big problem for pretty the last several years. And and you know, and if you can't stop the run in the Big Ten, you don't win. Um, so their their philosophy is we're going to make the other team throw the football in order to beat us. I think on the offensive side, he came in with a reputation as being wide open and, and throwing the ball all over the field. He doesn't really have the personnel to do that right now, so he's had a pretty good balance. But uh, you're talking about a team that through three games is averaging almost 36 points a game, and those are numbers that we haven't seen here since the Joe Tiller days. Well, and it helps when you have a a gunslinger like David Blau, who's a good-looking player. Completion percentage, I think, right around 71% through the first three games. Talk about him and his play so far this year, Tim. You know, he's a terrific natural leader. I think that's probably the first thing you notice about him. He's a yes or no. No, sir, and it's it's not an act. It's not a facade. Uh, when he says that it, it's that's genuinely the way he is all the time. Uh, he did a great job addressing the uh, Big Ten uh, luncheon earlier this year. He got a standing ovation when when he finished his speech, and I think he has started to adapt to uh, Jeff Brom's system. Um, he's not the biggest guy. He's listed at six one. I think that's a little bit generous. But he's got the ability to, if a play breaks down, he can move outside the pocket. He can scramble for a first down. And just to show you how efficient he's been, um, in the first halves of the games this year, he's 30 of 34 passing. So he has come out and really been on target. Um, he, he threw a couple of crucial picks in the second half of the Louisville game, which got him a seat on the bench. But in the last uh, two games, he has not thrown any interceptions, and he has made good choices. And I think that uh, Jeff Brom is starting to trust that he will run the offense the way it needs to be run. Doesn't have a great arm. Uh, The other guy that has played quarterback and split time with him somewhat, Elijah Sindelar has a much bigger arm, but Elijah's more of a pocket passer where David is going to be able to roll out a little bit more. And again, if if he needs to, and he did that on Saturday, he he can scramble for a five or 10 run and a first down. So uh, he's done a terrific job so far. I would I would be surprised if he's not the starter on Saturday, but I also would be surprised if we don't see both quarterbacks again because I think right now uh, that's that's kind of what Jeff's uh, plan is early here in the season. You know, watching uh, David Blau, very, he's just a very impressive quarterback to me, and I know this might make some uh, Purdue fans cringe, but he reminds me of a, another kid uh, who played quarterback at Purdue a little bit, and that's Drew Brees. I know that's maybe a stretch, but there's some similarities there in their style. There are some similarities. They're both from Texas. Um, they're both about the same size. Uh, they both have to find angles to get the ball down the field. He uh, doesn't get a lot of passes batted back, but once in a while he'll have a tip pass. But um, And I think they're both natural leaders. Drew Brees was an, not a very vocal kid when he when he came to Purdue um, he, he turned out to be a tremendous leader and continues to be in the NFL 
but David, uh, you're right. He he does have a lot of Drew Brees' traits. Um, and we're not going to put him in that category yet, but he's giving Purdue, I think, everything it wants at the quarterback position. Well, both quarterbacks have some pretty good receivers to throw to. I especially like this uh, Jackson Anthrop kid. He is a good-looking receiver, but there are others. So take a minute to talk about that receiving core, Tim. Sure. There were three guys that were uh, really got the bulk of the playing time in the spring. Jackson Anthrop was one. He's a redshirt freshman. He's from right here in West Lafayette. He went to Lafayette Central Catholic High School. He scored 105 touchdowns in his high school career, led his team to a couple of state championships. His older brother, Danny, played football here. His older brother, Drew, played basketball here. And the Anthrops, back in Purdue history, John Anthrop was a basketball player here when I was in school. So uh, that that was right after, I think, the, the bottom had been cut out of the peach basket. But Jackson has certainly done a, a great job so far. 17 catches in the first three games, four touchdowns already. Uh, Gregory Phillips is another receiver. He's a senior. Uh, he's caught 13 passes. Um, he's had an issue a little bit last year and, and a couple of crucial Louisville game with drops, but he, he is becoming a little bit more dependable. Uh, the other guy that will probably start is a kid named Anthony Mahungu, who actually came to Purdue from a junior college, but is a native of Paris, France. I think he might be the first French native that we've ever had in the football program. Those three guys are starting, but behind them you've got Corey Holmes, who's a transfer from Notre Dame, who was injured a lot during fall and is just now starting to catch up. kid named Terry Wright, who's probably, well, not probably, he is the fastest and quickest receiver on this team. He's another junior college transfer, had a a 55-yard touchdown called back because of a holding penalty on Saturday, but he's got big playability. There's another junior college kid named Isaac Zico, and then there's a kid that's a Kind of a hybrid. He's a he's a converted quarterback, a, a young man named Jared Sparks out of Louisiana, and you may see him lined up Saturday at wide receiver. You may see him lined up in the backfield as a as a quarterback in some sort of a wildcat package. So those are the names that you'll hear and see most often on Saturday. And I will also say that Purdue does a lot of throwing to its tight ends. Uh, Cole Herdman and Bryson Hopkins have combined for. 16 catches and three touchdowns in the first three games, and they're both pretty dependable guys. Herdman is actually averaging almost 29 yards a catch. Now, part of that was he had a 62-yard catch on a flea flicker uh, in the Ohio game. And Hopkins is a kid that can stretch the field. His his dad was Brad Hopkins, who played at the University of Illinois and then went on to a 13-year career in the NFL as an offensive lineman. So he's been in that football mentality since he was in the crib. Uh, those are the guys, Herdman and Hopkins, and then they've got a, another freshman there that they like in Darius Pittman. So um, the, the nice thing about the offense is most of those guys are young, unlike the defense where you've got seven senior starters. Uh, most of the guys offensively are going to be back in 2018. Well, as you mentioned, Coach Brom has that reputation coming from Western Kentucky as a guy who likes to uh, spread you out. Sort of play uh, almost like a Joe Tiller offense, uh, basketball on grass. There's been more balance this year, as you mentioned, so it's not just passing. Purdue getting pretty good production on the ground, too. I mean, Tario Fuller seems to be the workhorse. He looked good against Missouri, but the cupboard isn't bare behind him at running back either, is it? No, you've actually they've actually run five different guys and, ex- and used all five guys in one game. Tario Fuller has been the starter the last couple of weeks. He had 142 yards against Ohio. He had 90 yards last week against Missouri. He scored a couple of touchdowns. You've got D.J. Knox, who is generously listed at 5'7", probably a little shorter than that, but 210 pounds, and he's like trying to tackle a fire hydrant. Um, Richie Worship is an interesting guy because you'll see him, I'm sure, on Saturday lined up 
uh, as a fullback, lined up a little bit as a wing. They use him as a blocking back. He's six foot, 260 pounds out of Cleveland, and uh, he can carry it. I mean, he's, he's, he scored a touchdown last week, but he also is a terrific lead blocker. And then they've got a, a little bit of a home run hitter that you'll probably see on kickoff returns, a kid named Brian Lankford-Johnson, who's a sophomore out of St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, the guy that I'm not sure whether we'll see this week or not, Markel Jones, who was going to be the starting running back, a junior out of Columbus, Indiana, hurt his knee on a kickoff return in the opener against Louisville. Uh, he is iffy. Uh, if I had to guess one way or the other, he's probably still another week away. Purdue has a bye next week, so my guess is if he doesn't get to the field, then uh, he'll be out for the he'll be on the field for the next game, uh, the first weekend in October against Minnesota. But you may see at least four, if not five, running backs on Saturday, and they use them from different formations and in different packages that they run. Well, Tim, just about every preseason report I saw on Purdue mentioned that the offensive line was a big question mark, but they must be doing a pretty good job up front so far. They, they have, and, and I think there were two graduate transfers in that line that, that have made a big impact. Shane Evans is the starting left guard. He's a transfer from Northern Illinois, graduate transfer. And then the right tackle is a 6'8", 310-pounder named David Steinmetz, who's from the University of Rhode Island. Um, they've really solidified the line. Um, maybe the most talented kid is the redshirt freshman that's playing left tackle, a kid named Grant Hermans. 6'7", 295. He's out of Albuquerque. His brother uh, plays at U.S. Merchant Marine, so his parents have to split time during the football season to see both kids play. And then uh, Kirk Barron is the center. He's been here for a couple of years as a starter. And Matt McCann was switched from tackle to guard. I think they feel pretty good about those starting five. The big question has been whether they can develop that sixth, seventh, and eighth offensive lineman. And uh, we've seen a lot of Eric Swingler uh, the last couple of weeks, they can use him. If you see him in the game as number 60, that means he's playing tackle. You may see him in the game as number 90 when they line him up as tight end. So uh, that gives them another option in that tight end slot. And then they've got a couple of kids, Mike Mendez and Baruz Yakubi, who have sh- shuffled in at the guard position. So I think right now they're pretty comfortable with eight guys. Um, that unit has played fairly well. They've given up eight sacks, but they've also... Uh, gained 173 yards a game on the ground, so they've been able to move the football. And uh, I think he's, uh, I think Jeff Brom has been pleased so far with what he's seen out of that unit. Well, the offense has been humming along. The defense has been playing, I'm sure, better than expected. I think right now they lead the nation fumble recoveries at six. Uh, I think is one of the stats that I saw. They were good Saturday night, especially the corners. I thought good tight coverage all night. So talk about this defense and some of the names we'll be hearing this Saturday. Well, I th- we'll start with the secondary since you mentioned that first. Um, Josh Okanya is a fifth-year senior. He's a, actually another graduate transfer. Came in from Wake Forest and. He has uh, locked down at one cornerback spot, and then Dewan Hunt, who's a co-captain, fifth-year senior from Miami, will be at the other. Kamal Hardy had an interception on Saturday late in the Missouri game. He's a junior college transfer that they're trying to work into the rotation. Uh, the safeties, a really interesting story, a kid named Jacob Fienemann, who came here as a walk-on. He's from Noblesville, which is right outside of Indianapolis, and He's worked his way into the starting lineup, and, and according to Jeff Brom, I heard him yesterday say that Jacob by far right now is their best defensive back because he's never in the wrong position. Uh, whatever limitations he may have physically, he, he really can overcome with being in the right spot and doing the right thing. Um, T.J. Jallo was injured, did not play last week against uh, uh, Missouri. 
Not sure if he's going to play this week. If he doesn't, Navon Mosley will step in again. And Antonio Blackman's the other kid, uh, another uh, walk-on that you may hear at the safety spot. So those are the names in the back end. Uh, the linebacking core, as I mentioned, really is the strength of the team. T.J. McCollum, Juwan Bentley, Marcus Bailey. They, they've got a true freshman that they really like who had five tackles last week, a kid named Derek Barnes, who at his, as a true freshman is 6'1", 250. He's chiseled. He looks the part of a Big Ten football player. And uh, I think he's going to be a big addition, not only in, in the linebacking core, but he's really an outstanding special teams player. And then up front, uh, the, the names you'll hear the most often, Austin Larkin, who's Uncle Barry, uh, Barry Larkin, Hall of Famer with the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, Austin came here from a junior college. He's a senior at one defensive end. The other end is at a position they call a hybrid. It's a Leo position, and that's a guy named Danny Easychuku, fifth-year senior out of uh, Georgia. Uh, you may see him. He'll be lined up on the line of scrimmage, but sometimes he'll have his hand in the dirt. Sometimes he'll be standing up and um, he right now has produced only sacks so far. They've only had one sack in three games, and that's something that's going to have to improve. And then the, the two guys that are really playing pretty well, I think that they're getting a lot right now that out of the defensive tackle position, Lorenzo Neal, whose dad Lorenzo, again, played in the NFL and actually gave the induction speech this year when LaDainian Tomlinson went into the uh, NFL Hall of Fame. And then Glenn Robinson's son, Jalen Robinson, is a senior from uh, Sherrillville, Indiana, up near Gary. And I think he is finally starting to scratch the potential that we all knew that he had. Um, as a player that his first three years here, he'd played fantastic for two or three plays, and then you wouldn't see him for a series or two because he'd kind of disappear. But I think he's got the motor on full go right now, and he's he's having quite a senior season so far. And he and Neil have really solidified the inside of that run defense. With us here on our visitors segment this week is the radio play-by-play voice of Purdue football, Tim Newton. Well, Tim, this Saturday homecoming for Purdue, it's a 4 p.m. national game on Fox. I would think it's going to be a sellout at Ross-Aid Stadium. It has to be the biggest home game for Purdue in quite some time, I would think. It has been uh, a long time since there's been this kind of a buzz around Purdue football. You can imagine the uh, the Danny Hope era, the Daryl Hazel era, I think Purdue fans want to put in the rearview mirror. Um, as of yesterday, or the last time that I checked, uh, they were they were less than 10,000 away from a sellout. I'm sure they're much closer than that, and they are expecting that they will sell it out. The capacity, by the way, at Ross-Aid now is about 57,000 which I know Michigan fans will probably kind of uh, uh, scoff at, but this is a program that hasn't given fans a whole lot to cheer about in the last few years. So uh, if Purdue can sell out and uh, it's going to be an electric atmosphere, uh, I know that uh, at least one Hall of Famer will be in the house. Keena Turner, uh, Purdue Hall of Famer, will be here this weekend to cheer his alma mater on. So um, it, it should be a great day. It's homecoming here. Um, it's a late afternoon game, which hasn't happened for homecoming here in a while. And I think people are really, really excited to see what Purdue can do against a top 10 and really talented football team in Michigan. Well, a final question for you, Tim, uh, in the preseason, most Michigan fans looked at September 23rd in the schedule, and I'm quite certain they penciled in a W. I think that's changed, and we now realize this is going to be a dogfight for Michigan. So when on Saturday uh, we continue the uh, the great start of the season for Coach Brom and his team on so many levels, can you put into words just what it would mean to Purdue football 
could come away with a victory on Saturday? Well, it would certainly be that next step in the process of rebuilding the program and, and would add to the, I think, the national validation that right now Purdue is starting to get. Um, going into the bye week, it would be tremendous. Uh, I think probably the biggest problem, if, if that were to happen, that Jeff Brown would have would be keeping his guys' feet on the ground for two weeks because they, they're going to hear if, if that were to happen how great they are, and then you got to turn around and, and get them ready to play. But, uh, you know, I, I do think it's a game that Purdue matches up well in the fact that they're, I think they're stacked up defensively to stop the run, and that seems to be Michigan's M.O. right now. The, the Wolverines haven't had a great downfield passing game. But um, talking to Jeff Brom already this week, he's really, really impressed with Michigan's defense. And, uh, you know, they're, they're so athletic, and it's going to be a challenge for Purdue to, to find space to get the receivers off the line of scrimmage to establish any kind of a running game. And Jeff is going to have to tap into that vast repertoire of offensive formations and schemes that he can use to try to get something going. But I think it'll be a great game. I think it'll be a pretty tight game. And uh, regardless of how it comes out, hopefully from Purdue's standpoint, it's that just that next building block as they try to get back toward a place where they can compete for uh, championships in the Big Ten and the West Division. Well, it's going to be a fun atmosphere in West Lafayette on Saturday with a big nationwide audience on Fox and the start of what looks uh, to be a wild and maybe wacky Big Ten season. My guest on today's visitor segment has been the radio play-by-play voice of the Boilermakers, Tim Newton. Tim, thanks for joining us. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Mike, tell the fans to bring the sunscreen. 88 and sunny on Saturday. Should be a hot one. Oh my, we had a hot one last week in Ann Arbor, but not quite that warm, <laughs> so we'll be ready. Alright, thanks for having me on. Quick Hits is next as we wrap up this week's Visitor's Edition of The Michigan Man. Here on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network, and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. Quick hits today. Let's start with the injury news we know of. Tariq Black is out with a foot injury. For how long, we don't know. He had surgery on Wednesday. Kareem Walker has been working through a knee injury, and Ty Isaac is reportedly good to go. As you know, we don't get much injury news, and Jim has been clear on this issue. He doesn't like to go into any detail regarding injuries to college players. So that's what we know heading into this week's action. Here are some game day notes. Michigan leads the series 44-14. The last time we played Purdue was back in 2012, also down in West Lafayette. It was a 44-13 win. Head coach Jeff Brom is in his first year at Purdue. He spent the last three at Western Kentucky. His overall record is 30-10. Last year, Purdue was 1-8 in the Big Ten, 3-9 overall. They returned five starters on offense and seven on defense. Their last bowl appearance was in the 2012 Heart of Dallas Bowl. Oklahoma State beat them 58-14. Saturday's game kicks just after 4 p.m. Eastern time on Fox. As you heard Tim Newton say, it's going to be muggy and near 90 degrees at game time. A reminder that our free show apps are available from the Google Play and iTunes stores. You can hear us on Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeart, and Wolverine Sports Radio. If you get the show from iTunes, please take a minute to comment or rate the program. Thanks in advance. 
Next week is our bye. On Tuesday's game day show, we'll be joined by Michigan great Greg Skrepinik for his thoughts on our first four games. I'm sure Greg will have some interesting analysis of our offensive line play too, so we look forward to that. On Thursday, we'll have our September Michigan Man Extra for you. Steve Lorenz from 24-7 Sports is scheduled to join me for a recruiting update and also his thoughts on the season so far. So make sure you join us for both of those shows next week. That will do it for another visitor's edition of The Michigan Man. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Let's hope we put some points on the board when we get in the red zone this week. We better, or we will be in for a dogfight with this much-improved Purdue team. Enjoy the game, everyone, and have a great Wolverine weekend. See you next week. Until then, take care, and as always, go blue. Thanks for joining us today on The Michigan Man, here on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network, and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. Our listener lines are open 24-7 for your calls at 313-263-4842. That's 313-263-4842. Or email us at themichiganmanpodcast at yahoo.com. That's themichiganmanpodcast at yahoo.com. The Michigan Man Podcast is produced at the studios of Robin Lynn Productions, Allen Park, Michigan, and is not affiliated with the University of Michigan. Go Blue!